You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Well, good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Are you doing well this morning? Are you alive? You ready to party? It is a great, great Sunday. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We are starting a new series this morning. And I'm curious, as we, as we dive into this series, as we, as we get into the fall, how many of you guys would say that you love autumn? Come on, how many of you guys are looking forward, right? This is a special time of year. We have so much to look forward to, right? We have crisp, cool weather. Yeah. We have the change of leaves. Who doesn't love some foliage, right? Man, uh, this past week, I noticed that Starbucks has just announced that every Thursday after 12 o'clock is officially Thursday on Thursday because you get buy one, get one free pumpkin spice lattes. Do you feel his presence this morning? Back to school, autumn leaves. Perhaps our favorite thing about the fall, perhaps the thing that makes our world so excited about autumn is that we are preparing for an election. Yeah! No, huh? This is that time of year. This is the the season that unites us. This is the time of year when families come together, where we are more united than ever before, right? Ooh, maybe not. This is, if you've been paying attention, this is that time of the election cycle. This is that time of year where people and talking heads are coming together and they are asking questions such as, if you had the power, what would you do? What kind of president would you be? What is your agenda? What are you prepared to do? How will you change things if you get to take the seat of power? In the capital city. And so regardless of your background this morning, regardless of your political leanings, right, regardless of how divided the world is, the one thing that I think we can all agree on this morning is that we need a change, don't we? I'm not just talking about a political candidate. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're one of my friends here this morning that you don't even necessarily believe all of this. But I just wonder, could we agree that there just has to be a better way. Can we all agree on that? I mean, there, there has to be a better way. Our society is in need of fixing. It's not working. Our society leads us to believe that there must be something more. There has to be more. It's not just society in the In the quiet of our own souls, if we're quiet for more than five minutes, we're aware of this ache in our own hearts that something is missing. There's a longing deep down in here for just a a better way of doing things, a better mode of existence. There has to be a better way for all of it. Can we agree on that this morning? And so this morning, we are going to to tune in to the final week 
of the life of Christ. And so Jesus, he has spent the better part of three years ministering just in a few square miles north in Israel called Galilee. And so now Jesus has headed south. He has arrived at the capital city. And as he enters the city, friends, there's no debates, no political campaigns. Jesus does not arrive in the capital city kissing babies and giving out buttons. He arrives this morning in Jerusalem and with very few words and with a couple of powerful statements. He declares loud and clear to those of us in this room who feel the need for change. I'm the one you need. He's the one you need. He declares loud and clear this morning, friends, that he is not here to run for office. He is here to save the world. This is the return of the king. And this morning we get to see the Savior King. Are you ready? Mark chapter 11. I'm actually going to do something different. I'm going to ask you guys to stand for the reading of God's word in anticipation that he has good things for us this morning. And so we're going to stand up as if to say, God, what do you have for us? Listen to this. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. Friends, he has good things to say to you this morning. Are you prepared? Amen. All right, go ahead and take a seat. Let's look at this story in two scenes. Let's cut it in half. So look at the first scene one more time. It says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Pause right here. Scene number one, the high king arrives on a lowly road. The high king arrives on a lowly road. 
We see that Jesus is coming from the north. He is walking south. And we see that as he draws near to Jerusalem, as he approaches the capital, he doesn't just walk in. As he approaches Jerusalem, he doesn't just arrive. No, no, it says that as they draw near, there's, there's a pregnant pause. The story slows down. Jesus takes a beat and he gathers himself as he prepares to enter the city. And as he prepares himself, we get the sense this is not an ordinary visit to Jerusalem. As things slow down, we start to realize this is not just another holiday Passover in the capital. We get the sense that this feels momentous. This trip will not only change Jesus' life, this will change the course of human history. And so Jesus does a few things here to show us that this is a momentous visit. First of all, look where he stops. It says, outside of Jerusalem, he stood on the Mount of Olives. And so outside of Jerusalem, there's a valley to the east of Jerusalem. And on the other side of that valley, on a hill, is the Mount of Olives. This is a super significant place in Old Testament prophecy. You see Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Verse 3, God is coming to save Jerusalem. God is going to bring and wage war against the enemies of Jerusalem. God will save us. And where's his staging ground? On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lie before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives, this is the place where God would stand when he comes to save Jerusalem. This is the staging area of his visit. And Jesus pauses at the place of God's visitation as he prepares to visit Jerusalem. Are you getting it? The light bulbs go off here. This is a momentous and prophetic moment. God has come to visit Jerusalem. God is at the Mount of Olives in the person of Jesus. God himself is preparing to arrive in the heart of the nation. Notice where he stops. Secondly, notice what he says. He sends two disciples ahead and he tells them, he gives them instructions for procuring a ride. Would you guys drive to church today? Yeah? Really cool? Cool ride? I don't know, we'll find out at the picnic, I suppose. But Jesus gives them instructions, and he says, I want you to go into the city. You will find a colt that is tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. He tells them, you will find a colt. So they go into the city, and they went away and found a colt tied at a door, just like he said would happen. And so as I read this week, some scholars say that Jesus had already been there and he made arrangements. Jesus had already made a reservation for a donkey for one, and now he's simply sending his disciples to go get his arrangements. I don't agree with that. I agree with the scholars who think that those other scholars are completely missing it. Friends, this is a demonstration of his prophetic foreknowledge. He says here, Go into the village in front of you. We get the sense that they have not hit that town yet on their itinerary. They had yet to be there, and yet Jesus knows exactly what will be there. This is his prophetic, supernatural foreknowledge. Another demonstration that this is not just another visit. He tells them, go and get a cold, but how many of you would consider yourself particular? 
Anybody picky? Anybody like, I hate to ask, but, and then you give all your demands. I see you. Your spouse just elbowed you in the ribs. I know. Is Jesus being particular here? He says, give me a colt. And by the way, get the one that has, on which no one has ever sat. Okay, bougie Jesus. He's like, I want the mint condition 2023 donkey with all the upgrades and creature features, right? No, no, no. Jesus is not being particular. Every single thing that he does is making a statement. Everything he does is packed with prophetic significance. You see, every time that an animal was given to God in the Old Testament, they made a very specific requirement. They said, we will never use animals that have already been worked. We will only use animals that have never worn a yoke. God doesn't get our leftovers. We're not going to use animals that are already on their last leg. We give him our unused unblemished, brand new, mint-conditioned animals as a demonstration of our lavish worship, right? Remember that? So when Jesus specifies, get me a colt on which no one has ever sat. Light bulb, they're not getting a colt for their friend. They're getting a donkey for their God. Do you see all these statements that he's making? Notice where he stops. Notice what he says, and lastly, notice what he rides. He doesn't just walk into Jerusalem like an ordinary pilgrim. He doesn't just walk on his own two feet into the capital city. No, he asks. No, he doesn't just ask. He says, I need it. The Lord has need of a ride. Why does Jesus need a ride? His feet are tired. No. (laughs) Why does Jesus need a ride? Because he's styling No, why does Jesus need a ride? Do you remember in the Old Testament how the prophets would often do these these, uh, symbolic actions? They would often do some physical demonstration to to reinforce their message, right? I think of the one prophet in, in 1 Kings or 2 Kings 16, and he rips his shirt in half. And he says, this is how God is going to rip the nation of Israel in half. Remember that they would do these visual signs. And so I believe that this is a prophetic statement. This is a symbolic action. Jesus is making a point. And what's his point? He says, I'm not going to walk into the city because kings don't walk into their city. I'm going to ride into the city because that's how kings ride into their city. He says, I'm not coming to Jerusalem as a visitor. I am not a sightseer or a tourist. I am coming as the long-awaited king of heaven whose scripture promised would one day come to end the oppression of God's people and to establish his rule and reign. As he arrives on a donkey, he's making a statement, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one that was told in Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not even a a full-grown donkey. He got a baby donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. 
His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The king is here to save us. That's his statement. The king is here to save you. And the ride of this king tells you what kind of king he will be. I don't like to paint paint with broad brushstrokes. I don't mean to stereotype, but I do believe that your ride tells me at least a little bit about you. Anybody agree with me? Come like, Sam, don't be so narrow-minded. I'm just saying, I believe that if somebody rolls up to the picnic today, woo, you're talking about a donkey, right? 55 donkey power, I don't know. But if somebody rolled up to the picnic today driving this 78 Mustang, six jet fuel infused, hemi, halfback, twin engine, man, I just have a hard time believing that there's not some fundamental differences between this driver and the person who drives this. 1978 V-Dub Scooby-Doo mystery machine, right? I'm not a car guy, in case you didn't know. I don't, I don't want to know what you think about me when you see me pulling up in my cute little Nissan Versa. <laughs> like, Sam, uh, don't keep it to yourself, all right? Behave now, come on. My cute little 2008 white Nissan Versa. Baby's got 150,000 miles. Come on now, right? It's fiery. What is the king riding? He's riding in because he's a king, but what is the king riding? He says it here. He's not riding a stallion. He's not riding a powerful charger. We get this bizarre picture. The king that we've been waiting for is riding into war on a donkey. (laughs) He's riding into war on a donkey. And from his donkey, here's the more impressive part, from his donkey, he will crush war horses. Donkey versus war horse. Upset of the century. That's number one, that's the number one seed right there, college football fans. From his donkey, he will crush war horses. From his lowly steed, he will overpower chariots. Do you hear his prophetic statement? Are you picking up what he's putting down? He is coming as a servant king, not a conquering king. He will be victorious. He will achieve salvation for you. He will rescue you. But his rescue comes through lowliness, humility, and death. Not power, glory, and prestige. Friends, he will bring his rule and reign to save us. But his way to victory is a path of humility. His path to the highest of thrones is the lowliest of rose. We look and behold this humble king riding a donkey and in the operating system of our world, this makes no sense. In the operating system of our world, we go, yo, Jesus, like, respect has to be demanded. Power must be asserted. You gotta flex, Jesus. You can't be riding on a donkey. This posture, this path will never result in the glory that you deserve. Jesus, this is the opposite of how the world works. But that's the point, isn't it? To all of us in this room who are tired 
of the way the world works. To all of us in this room who are craving a new operating system, for all of us who know, whether because we've tried it or because we've received it, the tired practices and power plays of this world are done. There has to be a better way. There has to be. And Jesus arrives on a donkey to say, there is a better way, and this is it. In a world plagued with politicking and posturing for power, Jesus says, in my kingdom, the path to glory and honor is the low road of humility. The path to salvation starts on a donkey. It's better, so much better. And now follow me, he says. Followers of Jesus, take note of his ride. Followers of Jesus, may we get off of our high horses and mount our lowly donkeys. Followers of Jesus, may we die every single day to the tired pursuits of recognition and power and prestige and instead follow Jesus in humility and lowly service, selfless service. Because to be with him Friends, to be with him on the low road of humility means that we will one day be with him in the high places of glory. Friends, I'm telling you the truth. If we are with him in the low places of humility, if we are in Christ, then we will also be with him in glory one day. All you have to do is look around this world. Look around and you know that the clawing for recognition, that the posturing for power and prestige, it is broken. It ends in pain and disaster. Makes great news. Media outlets love it. Bad news sells. But it's not a way to live. It's not the kind of existence we want for ourselves, for our families, for our community. But at the end of this path, at the end of the lowly path, you will find the most satisfying affirmation and recognition because this path will end in the presence of God. And regardless of how many times you've been looked over in your life, regardless of how many times people have ignored you, regardless of how many times you have felt on this road of, don't you know who I am? On that day, you will know whose you are. As the Father says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I see you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. For all those years that you've served in anonymity, for all those years that you have foregone the high road and you've taken the low road, for all those years that you were overlooked in humility, I see them all. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Friends, I could tell you of some of the most powerful, impactful people in the kingdom of God, but I won't. You know why? because you've never heard of them, because they don't have books written about them, because they're serving out of the spotlight and in the shadows of faith. They are serving faithfully every day, embracing anonymity, because all that matters to them is that God sees them. Who cares who else sees me? I would tell you about them, friends, but you wouldn't know their names because they don't have social media accounts. They're not checking their Twitter feed daily to see how many shares and likes and hearts they have because they're living for an audience of one on the humble road. Behold your king.
You see, the entire book of Mark has basically been asking the same question. Who is this guy? Who's this Jesus guy? He shows up on the scene. He's turning the world upside down. Who is Jesus? And with a few symbolic actions, Jesus just gave one of the clearest answers. He is the divine king of heaven who has come to flip the operating system of this world on his head, on its head, as he comes in humility. And friends, look at this king because it is attractive. It's refreshing. It's it's different, and something inside of us says, I want it. There's something to this. But he's not only a king, he's also a savior. Look at the last part of our verse. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem. And he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Second scene we have. Jesus is hailed as Savior by those in need of saving. Jesus is hailed as Savior by those in need of saving. And so Jesus, we find out that his donkey has arrived fresh off the lot. He gets the donkey and his crowd, his entourage of disciples, they roll out the red carpet. They put their cloaks on the donkey for him to sit. They, they spread out cloaks on the ground, right? They're rolling out the red carpet with leaves and their cloaks. And they're shouting one of their favorite holiday tunes. What's your favorite holiday? Come on, all at the same time. What's your favorite holiday? The church picnic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Oh my goodness. What a coincidence. I don't know what your favorite holiday is, but one of their favorite holidays was the Passover. The Passover was that special time, the most wonderful time of the year, some might even say in Israel, where everybody would come from all over the nation. They would come to Jerusalem for the biggest party of the year. And in this party, they were celebrating in their history, hello, kind of what we're doing today, celebrating how God had acted in their history to save them. How the angel of death passed over the children of God, and rescued them from slavery in the land of Egypt. And so they are singing. They are literally singing, right? How many of you say Christmas songs are not allowed until after, let's say, after Halloween? I think we all agree on that. How many of you would allow it before Thanksgiving, though? Oh, man. We'll pray for you. Yes, we will. (laughs) Awkward. Um, Everybody just moved. They were like, oh, we got a pre-Thanksgiving Christmas song. Friends, this is their holiday songs, and they were singing it loud and clear for all to hear as they marched into Jerusalem. And check it out. As they're singing this song, as they're shouting a song about God's salvation in their past. Let me say it again. As they're singing a song remembering God's salvation in their history, their song is filled with a longing It's their hearts are filled with anticipation 
for how God will save them in their future. Okay? As they recount and recall all of God's salvation in their past, they cannot help but look forward to and expect the day that he will save them again. They are looking forward to the coming kingdom. Why? Because they, just like us, they believe there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. This is a people that as they sing, they are aware of the pain of daily existence. This is a people just like you, that if you were to interview them, they would tell you that they feel the political and the relational and the social brokenness of their world. And they know that deep down inside, there has to be something more than this. Oh, man. This is not the way it was supposed to be. This is a people whose song and whose hearts is filled with longing for a better world. For a better mode of existence. For a better kingdom. Anyone feeling that song this morning? Anyone feel that song deep down in their bones, regardless of your faith background? Again, you might be here, and you're like, man, I don't even know where I stand with all this Jesus stuff. That's okay. You are always welcome here. But I wonder, I wonder, are you, just like these people, keenly aware in your heart of hearts that something is missing? Does their longing for another mode of existence, does that resonate with you? Is there anybody here this morning who shares their longing for another operating system because you know that this one is broken? This is a people whose song and hearts are filled with longing. And guys, this longing, this was deeply embedded in their culture. You see, they longed for the day where God's king, they called him the Messiah. They longed for the day that he would come to rule and reign. They knew that what they really needed, they knew that what would really satisfy that ache in their souls was for when God himself would come to establish a kingdom of peace. They knew that what would really fix this world is a new mode of existence marked by righteousness and meaning. Everything would be better in the coming kingdom. And so you listen to their song and their singing in anticipation of the day that King David's descendant would come, the Messiah. There's singing about the day when he would come to establish righteousness, a reign of peace that would know no end. They are singing with longing, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. That's their longing ache. This is not a people who are interested in modest improvements. These are not a people who just want some slight reforms. This is a people whose ache and longing is so deep that they want nothing less than salvation from this world. Salvation from the brokenness without. And salvation from the brokenness within. They knew what would fix their deepest longings. Do you? They knew what they were crying out for to save them. Do you? What do you cry out for in your moment of longing? 
what do you cry out for and shout at? Save me as it passes in front of you. Relationships, save me. Substances, save me. Acceptance, save me. More money, save me. Better friends, save me. Success, save me. Hosanna, save me. But what do you ache for? What do you cry out for for salvation in your condition? This morning we have this passage to show us that they are crying out. They are shouting for God. Because they knew that what would save them is his arrival. His salvation. And here's what's so special. As they cry out for God's salvation, (laughs) the Savior himself is seated on a donkey. Bizarre. They, as they sing out and cry for the coming kingdom, they are laying down the soundtrack for the king himself. It's like singing, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Is that where he lives? As Santa Claus is there. You're like, I just thought it was a song. No, he's here. They're singing for the coming kingdom. And I don't even know if they realize that they are laying down the soundtrack for the king himself. Because the donkey didn't have XM radio. So here's what's startling about this passage. They're singing, they're shouting, they're declaring the arrival of the king. And what catches my attention is that nowhere in this passage does Jesus stop them. Do you notice that? Remember how through the whole book of Mark, he was like, shh, shh, keep it down, keep it down, shh. And he was keeping it under wraps, the messianic secret. He kept telling people to lay low because they weren't ready to really understand what this meant. And shh, 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 all the other books, shh, 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 shh. Not today. Not today, as he rides it on his donkey, chin held high, chest out on the lowly road, and he allows them to sing his praises. He allows them to shout for salvation because he is indeed the king who has come to save them. As a matter of fact, he has entered the city for this specific purpose because he who enters the city on a donkey would soon exit the city on a cross willingly laying down his life as a substitute for those who cry out to him for salvation. You see, friends, as the whole city is celebrating their freedom from Egypt, as the whole city is celebrating their salvation from slavery, Jesus Christ has arrived to once again deliver them from slavery and their addictions to sin. Jesus is there to liberate you from death. He's here to establish and bring you into a new kingdom Behold your Savior King, riding on a donkey with a glorious entry, with shouts of Hosanna in front of him and behind him. Behold, not just your King, your Savior King. You see, we live in a world where it's just easy to feel like everything around us is not my problem. Have you ever felt that? We live in a world where it's easy to just wonder, does Does anyone see my pain? Does anyone care? And yet King Jesus arrives, and he's entering the city specifically for the purpose of getting on a cross, precisely because he does see you, 
precisely because he does care about you. He has come for you. He doesn't say, not my problem. He has made your problem his problem, and he did something about it by laying down his life for you. Friend, though the world may ignore you, though the world may pass you by, King Jesus has come to save you. Behold your Savior King. Jesus has come to establish a new kingdom, a new mode of existence, a, not just a new lifestyle, a new, a new being. And this kingdom is infinitely more satisfying than the operating system that you've been living in. It is infinitely more satisfying than anything that a political president, a political uh, a candidate can offer. And so as you see this glorious entry, as you hear the shouts of Hosanna, Mark is putting the question to you this morning, will you also cry out? Will you join the song of faith? Will you from your heart shout out to Jesus with the crowd, Hosanna, save us. Will you cry out this morning? Because that's why he's come. Cry out to him in faith. Jesus, save me. For all who shout in faith to the Savior are saved. For all who cry to the King are brought into the kingdom of life. East Point Church, behold your Savior King. Lord, we love you, Father, for this powerful demonstration of your identity, for this powerful demonstration of your grace and love. You came not to conquer a capital, but to lay down your life on a cross to save us. And so, Father, would you lead us in this path of humility, and would you lead us to cry out to you for salvation? We love you, Father. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.